Hello and welcome to the Heartbreak Hotel, also known as Shut Up and Jimmer. I'm your host, as always, Steve Pierce, and as always, joined by my co-host, the equally depressed, uh, but always insightful, Robbie McCombs. Robbie, uh, how excited are you to be recording a podcast about BYU basketball on this particular day? <laughs> yeah, stoked, Steve, man. It's great. <laughs> no, I'm just, we, were just, we were just saying before, and we were chatting a little bit before we started recording, just how much more fun this would be to record after a BYU 17-point second-half comeback, all the great things we could have talked about. Now, we took, I mean, I, I hate you losing to UNLV. I mean, it's been a while since I lived in Las Vegas, but I still have friends that, you know, they just text me and it's just, it just sucks losing to UNLV, especially in the fashion that we did. But we're here. We're always here. We'll talk about it. Whether BYU is 8-5, and 8-15, and 15, we'll We'll be here to commiserate, to celebrate, and everything in between. I hope we don't make it to eight and fifteen, because that would mean that we're going to lose ten <laughs> more games consecutively. Yeah, that, and that would be awful. Yeah, that would be that'd be uh, very depressing. Yeah, yeah. Not that it's not already uh, not already depressing enough, but hey, we'll dive into it. Um, but before we do, uh, just a reminder all the folks out there that we are on all of the podcast platforms, all of them. Literally, not I don't, maybe not literally everyone, but if you like listening to podcasts on a particular app or platform, we're probably there. Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Uh, so please, if you haven't already and you like the podcast, subscribe, make sure that you get the latest episodes as soon as they become available straight to your phone. And then also, you know, give us a rating or a review. If you got uh, 30 seconds, it really helps us out. Five, five stars for Shut Up and Jimmer. Uh, that's about five more stars than the BYU basketball team's first half performance against UNLV deserved. Uh, so let's <laughs> dive into the week. Uh, big home win against Portland State. We probably won't focus as much on that one, although uh, I think there's something to be said for, for that performance as well. And then obviously... Uh, a, a very, by definition, up and down game uh, against UNLV, where BYU got down big early by playing, I think, the worst basketball uh, of the season, came back, gave you hope, and then just in classic BYU fashion, uh, crushed it out of you by losing uh, on a buzzer beater, just crazy shot in overtime. Uh, really just a horrible, horrible loss. So let's go, let's dive into the week and let's start, um, Robbie, let's start with what was. What was good? I know that the 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 our bias would be to go to the most recent thing that had happened, which is the heartbreaking loss to UNLV, um, and you know the horrible way that it ended, and how everything is now awful. Uh, but I think there were some good things this week, uh, starting with that that Portland State game. Um, it's obviously been negated and overshadowed a bit by the UNLV loss uh, now. But just before we get into UNLV, which we'll talk about a lot. There was some good stuff in that Portland State game. What what stood out to you? Yeah, like you said, sometimes it's hard to, I guess, to kind of focus on the positive after such a loss like that that overshadows everything. But, I mean, there is some good, I think, to take out of this week. Um, I think, first of all, one thing that stuck out to me, going to that Portland State game kind of last minute, we found out that Yoli Childs was feeling under the weather. Still got the start and still played. I mean, he still scored I think 13 points so he's in double figures but compared to what we've seen the whole year it was definitely less than what we come to expect from Yoli Childs so it was good that Portland State game to see other guys step up um, TJ Haas um, he was obviously awesome so I guess I'll kind of start things off with him had a career high 30 points I mean it's kind of interesting to see that was his first 30 point game because you kind of think back some games in his career though some of those Gonzaga games like he just goes off but he kind of has that just spurts and not necessarily a whole 40 minute game where he's put it all together but first half second half TJ was awesome and kind of continued to that UNLV game too um, he was a little struggled a little bit in the first half after he banged knees with one of the UNLV guys. I think that kind of went into why BYU struggled in the first half, at least part of it, but he was great. It was a scary moment. Yeah. I thought he could, because Dave Rosen immediately onto the floor. So I was like, Oh no, TJ tore his ACL or I, I, those are some of my thoughts. It would be an awful development for this season. If you thought things couldn't get worse, they would get worse. If TJ tore his ACL. Can you imagine if BYU would have lost in a buzzer beater to UNLV and TJ Haas was out for the season? I mean, we might've quit the podcast. Think, if that had I happened. think we would have shut The podcast would have been over. Yeah, Rest in peace. Shut up and Jimmer. But fortunately, BYU did get out unscathed in the injury department, but going back a little bit, how TJ, I mean, he was great than that 
in that game. He was efficient too. He was his field goal percentage was great. He was thirty points and fifty percent from three. Um, I think after the Portland State game, he was over forty percent from three. I think after the UNLV game, he's dipped slightly below. But I mean, he's right around that forty percent mark from three, that threshold, which is especially for a volume shooter like TJ. If you're a volume shooter and you're shooting forty percent from three, that really puts you in elite category. So TJ, I think yeah. he's shown a lot more consistency consistency this season. And it's not going to be every single game where he's going to have going to go off for 2025 because i mean there's only very few people that could do that but he's been much more consistent consistent this year which is great which boy is going to need if they're going to be even a decent team so i mean tj showed consistency consistency once again um and then kind of going off we talked about with yuli child's being less than 100 percent. other guys stepping up zach caselius continued to you know he scored double digits connor harding got a start he had double figure games so it's good to see other guys besides just tj step up in yoli's um kind of feeling when he's feeling under the weather and then obviously we talked about last week about portland state kind of the the style they bring barrett Peary, just they really like to pressure you they really just crash the glass they just really try to get up in your face it was kind of a different style than what BYU has seen the previous 10 or so games and i thought they handled it really well handled and i think either one was really expected how they handled the full court press i think BYU had what 12 turnovers that game so it's something BYU historically has struggled with a full court press granted portland state doesn't have elite athletes but they do have some solid athletes on the floor but BYU did handle that really well um, they had a comfortable win against Portland State, which was never really in doubt. So it was good to see that. Um, but other than that, I mean, those are the big things uh, I saw. Um, Portland State, I mean, they're kind of a subpar team. They just lost at home to LMU by 27. And we'll kind of get into that later. Maybe yes. have the WCC, the, the middle of the WCC is looking really good. But as far as positive things, I mean, TJ, guy stepping up in place of Yoli, particularly in the Portland State game. And then BYU can handle a different style. Is there anything else that stuck at you positive, Steve, um, before we kind of dive into that UNLV game? Yeah, I think you hit the big points. I mean, I, I, we can't we can't overstate, I think, the importance of BYU looking good against full-court pressure. Like, yeah, Portland State's not a bunch of elite athletes, but this is what they do all game, every game, right? They press on every single made basket, uh, and they're really good at it. They Their opponents average 19 turnovers a game, which is 10th in the nation. So they're a top 10 team in turning over their opponents. Uh, BYU was able to do be- better than that by seven, like you mentioned. They had 12 turnovers. So that was really good. I thought BYU handled the press really well, which they they have not done uh, in past years. They did a really good job there. And I think, I think really the emergence of Zach, these last, even in, in the UNLV game where we, or, you know, we obviously didn't like the results at the end. Um, Zach, we've we've said many times on this podcast that if Zach's not making threes, he doesn't bring anything to the floor, and so he needs to sit down. Um, that's not the case anymore. That's not how he's played the last two or three games. Zach has uh, been really aggressive looking to get, get off the dribble. He's rebounded well. He's defended reasonably well. I mean, nobody defended well in the first half against UNLV, but, um, he's, he looks like a different player. That's, that's more assertive and asserting himself in more ways than he has in the past where he's just been a spot up jump shooter. Um, and so, you know, even if he doesn't make all his spot up jump shots or even a good, the, you know, the lion's share of them, you can still, you still need him on the floor when he's playing like he's been playing. And so I think that's been a really, you know, in, in kind of a, you know, rough week uh, with how the UNLV game ended. I think that was a, a silver lining for BYU to, to take forward. If Zach continues to develop in this way, um, he'll help them win games down the road. Um, speaking of silver linings uh, from UNLV, uh <sighs> Obviously, the the loss was was not what we wanted, and this is kind of counterintuitive to talk about the good part before the bad part because the bad part in that game came first in the first half. But in terms of the the good parts from UNLV, the second half, the second half was really good, um, especially offensively. Um, BYU won the second half, fifty three to thirty six. Just you know, as much as they obviously ended up in a tie in regulation, but as so as bad as they were in the first half, and as much as they got blown out in the first half. Uh, they revert. They were able to reverse that coming out in the second half. So they looked really good um, on both sides of the ball. Got big contributions from key guys. A bunch of key guys. Yoli had 25. TJ and Jashir both had 19. Zach chipped in 10. Nick had nine. And Nick, it wasn't even just about the production on the stat sheet for Nick. Um, Nick showed in that game what we've been talking about. Uh, kind of the last few episodes of the podcast uh, about what he's able to bring to this team 
uh, even just beyond statistical production, that presence, that intensity, that emotion, uh, particularly on the defensive end. This is a team that in the first half, which we'll obviously talk about when we get to the bad stuff, uh, looked just lost. Uh, defensively, it looked like they were on another planet. Uh, and Nick played a ton of minutes when BYU really made the run in the second half and, and really started eating into that lead. It was with Nick on the floor, and they looked like a different team defensively, and it stemmed from Nick's presence on the floor. Um, and so he made that second half rally really happen. I mean, there was a lot of... A lot of other folks involved. Obviously, a lot of other guys scored the ball. Other guys made great plays. But it stemmed from Nick and from Nick's leadership and Nick's that intensity and focus that Nick brings uh, to the floor, starting on the defensive end. Um, and then you know the defense improved uh, in the second half and and overtime generally, uh, which considering how bad it was in the first half, you know that's not super hard to do. Uh, but they did make it a lot tougher on UNLV. Uh, offensively, they uh, UNLV in the second half shot 37% from the floor, 30% from the field, which is significantly worse than they did in the first half. Um, and BYU was really up to really able to turn up the pressure and really force some turnovers. They had 11 points off turnovers in the second half, which really helped them uh, cut into that 17 point uh, halftime deficit. And so, you know, that really evidenced that itself that in, that intensity kind of really evidenced itself on some key plays where they able to. Um, force some tough shots, including the, the, the shot that they lost on, um, which we can talk a little bit more about later. Uh, they, it was a tough shot. They forced them into taking tough shots. Didn't always work out. Sometimes we gave up offensive rebounds, which is another big struggle that we'll talk about. Uh, but the initial defense was was pretty good. So the second half, in terms of you're looking for silver, silver linings from UNLV, um, I thought was pretty... There, there were some things to take away uh, outside of the, the final score that could be useful. What did you think, Robbie? Yeah, I agree. I think you hit on all the positive things that happened in the UNLV game. And just to touch on Nick a little bit, we've mentioned a lot before, and a lot of people I think have the same thought. If BYU is going to kind of turn the season around, they're really going to need big contributions continuing from Nick Emery. Like you said, not only did he hit some big shots, obviously, in that second half and played good defense, but like you said, it's just his emotion, his intensity that he brought, particularly on the defensive end, and then coming up with those big shots. I think that really spurred spurred that second half rally. So it kind of seems like he's Nick starting to ease more and more into things. And I think he's got 20 minutes that game. So I think we'll probably start to see him get closer to maybe that 25, 28 mark, maybe up to 30 minutes is probably the seal, the cap that he'll play this season. So that's something really encouraging going forward. And then I guess before we kind of transition to what was bad from uh, this past weekend. There was a lot of things that were bad, the, Robbie. Were, I don't know if you knew the, that. It was spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, everybody. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just frustrating too that three of the four halves BYU played were good halves, but just it's... It's like the, the saying, like you could you can't win a game in the first half, but you could you could lose a game in the first half, and that's exactly what happened against UNLV. I mean, BYU, for as good as they played in the second half, I mean, they the reason they lost the game is because how poorly they played in the second half. I mean, the, sorry, the first half. So I guess that will transition to our next segment, gets which was bad, and which I think ninety nine percent, if not hundred percent, of this will be focused on the UNLV game. And man, Steve, that first half was just atrocious and you could Rough. do you want to start offense do you want to start defense do I mean, we could go minute by minute and think about everything that was uh, bad but i think i mean, I mean that, yeah I mean, the weber state game that second half was bad but hey, at least BYU was good on offense that i think BYU put up over 60 points in offense in that half but i mean this half it was just it's okay to have a, it was bad everywhere yeah, it's okay to have a poor shooting night that happens but when you have that you really got to make it for it on the defensive end and it seems like BYU read the scouting report a little too much in that first half I mean going into the game the scouting report for UNLV was they're a poor shooting team so they're going to hoist up shots and they're just going to crash the glass so it kind of seemed like BYU they read that they're like okay you know UNLV is a bad three-point shooting team so let's give them we're just going to let yeah, them shoot open looks, and then we got to crowd, crowd the paint but I think they forgot that these are uh, Division One college basketball players, and Division One college basketball players can make threes when they're wide open and there's no hand in their face, and I, that's kind of what happened. And granted, UNLV, UNLV did make some contested shots, but a lot of them, honestly, Steve, were just 
very poor defense by BYU. They just give UNLV some open licks. And it's kind of the bad habits BYU's got into of over-rotating, over-helping. That really manifested itself and give UNLV wide open licks. And when UNLV did miss those, the few threes that they did, they'd oftentimes get offensive rebounds, which is the one thing they really do in offense. So, I mean, that was really bad, the defense. I mean, breaking it down by the numbers, they gave up, BYU gave up 47 points. UNLV shot 48%. And then, they shot 46% from three and 56% from three for a team that was shooting under 30% coming into the game. So 27%. Yeah. So they hadn't have done anything close like this the whole season. And BYU made UNLV look like the Golden State Warriors out there just hitting everything. So it's just, and then going into the offense, I'll touch on that a little bit. It's just, I, I think it kind of seemed like maybe Yoli was a little bit still kind of feeling out things. I mean, those tough shots that he was hitting versus Utah, that he was hitting versus Illinois State, Utah State, I mean, those weren't going down in the first half. I mean, he was just missing all of those. And then the just, and then once TJ banged his knee, once he went out, the offense lost a lot of rhythm and T- Zach wasn't hitting shots. Connor Harding seemed like the length of UNLV was giving trouble. I mean, nobody was getting any consistency on offense. And then it was just bad all around. And then rebounding, I mean, Rebounding is a lot, eff- a lot effort. I mean, part of its size. Some of those rebounds UNLV got is because honestly they are longer, which I mean, is a, you, you can understand because UNLV they're just bigger than BYU, so you expect to give up some of that just because the not just because of the length deficiency BYU has. But honestly, a lot of those I feel like were just effort plays. BYU just wasn't getting there, particularly particularly in the first half. And while BYU did turn a lot of that around in the second half, they dug themselves into such a big hole. It's hard to do that just to pull it for a whole for a whole half and overtime to keep that the emotional intensity it's really draining and i think that eventually caught up to BYU but the reason BYU lost the game wasn't because of a bad last possession i mean obviously if they made that they would have won so when it comes down to a one point loss you could point to 50 different things like oh if this would have happened BYU would have won but the reason BYU won is because they that sorry BYU lost is because they dug themselves into such a huge hole in the first half and and then it, everything stemmed from there. So it was just that half as bad all around. But I think that was that was worse than the Weber State second half. It was just really disappointing to see, especially after the past three games. It really looked like BYU turned a corner. It seemed like every bad habit BYU had manifested itself in the first half of the UNLV game. It was just a huge regression. I don't know what it stems from, whatever. There's emotionally, BYU just kind of let down. And the, it just everything everything reared its ugly head in that first half. You want to know what it looked like? It looked like they've been out playing blackjack the night before <laughs> till like 3 a.m. I mean, everything yeah. just looked, they they looked like they didn't, nobody, they just looked lost. They looked like nobody gave a crap on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, and, you know, they just got carved up. Like, like the, the Warriors, com, the Warriors com comparison is, is a good one because it just, UNLV looked like the greatest basketball team on the planet. And it's not because they are. It's because BYU made them look that way. Mm-hmm. And then offensively, everyone just looked sluggish. Yoli looked a couple steps slow. There was no movement. It was just it was just really ugly. Just taking bad shots, turning the ball over. Just stupid stuff. And like you said, you can absorb a bad offensive half like that where you're not clicking and nothing's going, nothing's really going um, if you don't play absolutely horrendous defense, which obviously um, they did. We talked about the three pointers, the the offensive rebounds, um, and then, you know a lot of this. And I think where most of the focus from fans will be is is what happened in crunch time. So we should talk about that because mm-hmm. that was obviously you know the end of regulation and then in overtime, a very important part of the game uh, that did play a role in dictating the outcome. Um, but I don't think, as you mentioned, not as big a role as you know sucking the entire first half so so bad like Like if you suck and get yourself in a 17 point hole crunch time can only matters can only do so much right Mm -hmm. and what 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 wasn't frustrating to me about i wasn't frustrated by the shot zach selius took i think people were unnecessarily criticizing Zach. I mean, they passed in the ball. Of course, Zach is supposed to shoot that because there was no time on the clock. I mean, a lot of people talking about too, the play design was why Yoli Childs didn't touch the ball is just unfathomable. unfathomable. You know, he had no answer for Yoli in the, in the second half. And it seems like they didn't even make an effort to get him the ball. Um, I mean, or even make him a decoy. I mean, I think he set one screen, 
but it d- he just kind of stood like yeah. he wasn't even on the block. No. He just kind of like stood a few steps out from the block and like he was just there. And then nobody really even moved. Right. It was just like yeah. it was such a weird play. It's like Jasheer just dribbled the ball and it looked like a glitch in a video game. Like they would just like somebody would like sh- like do like a little like shuffle to the left and then shuffle back yeah. and like nobody moved nobody went anywhere and then like it was too late and they they actually got like the, the Zach shot the Zach shot is actually a good a good shot relative to the crap motion they got on that on that possession like all things considered yeah, it was that wasn't a bad look it's a better look than UNLV got that oh, went in sure. and they won the game on yeah and the thing is the preceding play where BYU got up um Maybe that was an overtime, Steve, but was in, I think that was an overtime before UNLV hit their game-winning shot. So this kind of goes on with late-game execution. Um, the shot Jashir hit for BYU to go up 90 to 89, that was a horrible play too. But yeah, luckily, Jashir kind of made something happen. He got to the basket, kind of luckily made that shot. So to go up... Ni- I mean, kudos to Jashir. That was a tough it shot, was, man. But- he had like three guys draped all over him. He made it through contact. It was a horrible play design. Exactly. And that's what I was getting on. So it's like the late game play calling is... I think that's kind of been a pattern for BYU over years. Really the only late... Let me bounce off your head too, Steve. What other late game wins have you seen BYU have? I remember last year that UMass game... Um, back east, I think when Jashir, who, who, did, who did he pass it to? Did he pass it to Yoli for the game-winning dunk in the final five seconds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So BYU had that. But can you think of any recent examples of BYU having late-game heroics to win? I think I could think of examples of BYU losing because of poor late-game execution. I mean, f- last year, for example, I mean, St. Mary's, when they had a, the chance to win, and they, for some reason they let Zach shoot a, a three-pointer kind of similar to this year. But I yeah, can't think of any many, many recent ones where BYU's one because of good late game execution to get a game winning shot. I mean, I just have PTSD to the point where the last thing I remember is Tyler Hawes, them running that beautiful play for Tyler Hawes against St. Mary's like three or four years ago. And he makes it and it was beautiful. And it was like, yes. And then oh Matthew Delavadova yeah. hit the Delva dagger from half court. And uh, we haven't, I don't think, I guess uh, outside of the UMass game, haven't yeah. won a close game since. One of my biggest blessings on my mission that I was on my mission for the Delva dagger. So, uh, I, oh I never, gosh, I, it was rough. Yeah, I never got to. I mean, the UNLV one was bad, but I can imagine it doesn't even come close into comparison of the Delva Dagger. So, I mean, oh. so blessing of my mission, I was gone for that. But, I mean... Tender mercies, Robbie, tender mercies. Yes, exactly. But, I mean, yeah, that's really... I can't really think of any... I mean, BYU had against... They've had a few where they've had chances over the years, but they just haven't... It's just really crappy late-game execution. Like, I don't... I just, I didn't know what the goal was of those final plays. Yeah, and the there is some kudos due to the coaching staff in that the the big play prior to that sheer play, um, they actually there was an it was an after the timeout situation, and they did draw up a great play with Yoli and and TJ trying to play, mm-hmm. playing two man game on the perimeter, and TJ got the back cut for that little runner off the glass, which I think put them up too, um, but they tried to go back to that well quite obviously again on that play that that broken play that Shear scored the tough the tough shot on the t- that tough bucket on and it was just you know UNLV blew it up they didn't have any really there you could tell there wasn't like a a second action that they're going to do if they took away the first one and it just kind of became a giant mess that somehow you know uh sheer turned lemon lemons into lemonade but i think just generally byu at the end of games one of the real challenges is they don't have a good motion offense system that actually works and produces good looks very often and we've talked about this a lot it's just a lot of standing around and like two guys handing the ball to each other while three other guys stand around on the backside and don't move um and so they can't generate good looks or they don't generate good looks very often out of their regular motion offense. And so they're always having to draw something up to get a good look um, in the crunch, in crunch time. And that's not what great teams actually do. If you look, the Spurs, you know, traditionally, maybe not this year, but traditionally under Greg Popovich have been really good at this. The Spurs don't always have to go out and drop some special play to get a shot in crunch time. They just go run their offense uh, the way that they always do and know that they can generate a good shot out of it and just play naturally. And then you're used to playing that way. You're not having to think about, oh, where am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to be setting a screen for this guy? I can't remember what coach drew on the whiteboard. 
yada, yada, yada. Um, and so I think BYU, if BYU had a better motion offense, we'd have fewer of these problems in crunch time. Um, then again, you know, aspiring to be the Spurs is, is a pretty high bar, but something in that vein, whatever the BYU version of that is something that's more reliable in generating regularly consistent good looks. Um, the other half of the, of the coin in crunch time, you know, obviously there was the offense and everyone focused on, you know, that last possession regulation and why didn't you only not touch the ball? Why didn't you only touch the ball in, in overtime really on the block that much? These are all questions that there's not good answers to. Yoli should have had the ball more. Um, but defensively BYU didn't help themselves anymore either. Um, the two big problems I saw in crunch time, both in regulation and in overtime on that side of the ball, one, so many, so many fouls. And granted, the refs were calling the game super tight all night. Yeah. Um, but you, you, they were consistent. They, they were calling it tight all night. And BYU just has to learn to defend without fouling. Um, and a lot of the fouls, they weren't even just, they weren't even good fouls. They're just stupid fouls. There was one, I think BYU was up two at the time. I think it was probably late in regulation. Um, or maybe it might have been overtime. And TJ just goes and fouls a ball handler 30 feet from the basket by just being stupidly aggressive, right? And you understand, like, sometimes that happens, but that can't happen in a close game, you know, with the time ticking down and, you know, you've fought back from a 17-point hole and finally have the lead, and you put the team on the line to shoot, you know, two free throws. Everyone, you know, you mentioned everybody talking about, oh, well, you know, BYU, yeah, UNLV, they're such a bad shooting team, and they just, you know... Once again, a, a, a BYU opponent just happens to have the game of their lives against BYU. <laughs> this is the same. A, there's a reason why that happens because BYU is bad at defending the three. It's the reason everybody, every single team shoots their <laughs> shoots their shoots the lights out against BYU, even though if they're not a good shooting team. But the second thing that everyone's talking about, oh my gosh, UNLV is a bad free throw shooting team, and they made all their free throws. Well, guess what? Yeah, they made all their free throws as uncharacteristic, whatever. But if you put a team on the line like 30 times, like BYU did there's a real way, good way to stop them from making those free throws is to not give them the free throw. Stop fouling yeah. them. Um, and just, you can't, you cannot put them on the line for free points. No, and it seemed like BYU finally in that second half, they finally figured out how to defend UNLV. And really the best way UNLV was getting points was to get at the free throw line. It seemed like BYU finally figured out how to kind of stay in front of UNLV and give them tough contested shots. And the Rebels were really, ha really having a tough time scoring. And like you said, BYU just bailed them out some of the times and let them get at the foul line. Whereas if BYU just would have been a little less aggressive on defense and just played solid, just stay in front of their man. I think they they showed in that second half that they were, that was, they were finally really getting good at that and forcing crunch, forcing tough shots. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, down the, down the stretch. I mean, it seemed like once BYU got within two, within three minutes, they there was about a four possession stretch, I believe, four or five possessions. UNLV scored in every possession. So I mean, BYU had kind of got it all up to two, and then they couldn't quite get there until about the last two minutes. They finally got ahead. So I mean, you can't. It's a nitpicking a little bit because BYU was all the way back from seventeen. But I mean, when it comes down to that close, I mean, there's plays so many plays you could point to. Which man, what's this could have gone different? Yeah. But I mean, overall, I think we touched on a lot of the things about what went wrong. And I mean, I think rebounding, I, we've noticed this. I mean, I think this will be a prevalent problem all year, Steve. Um, BYU is very undersized. I mean, Yoli's an elite defender. And one of the reasons he'll probably be one of the leading rebounders in the country is because BYU is so undersized. So he's has to rebound if BYU is going to have any chance in any game. But I mean, Dalton Nixon, a six seven guy, is your second best rebounder. I mean... For any team that's fairly athletic, BYU is going to be at a huge disadvantage. And I think we're going to see that, especially in these upcoming two games. But I don't think that's going to be a problem that's going to be fixed all year. I mean, one thing BYU can do at least is play good defense. Maybe they will get beyond the glass. But I mean, if you could at least stand in front of your man, hold the team to low field goal percentage, that look mitigate some of the thing, some of those things of size, maybe giving a few extra rebounds. But I think that's kind of been yeah. a pattern that's established. BYU is not a great team at defending the three ball, and BYU is not going to be a great rebounding team, especially playing against teams that have good average to above average length. See, I disagree a little bit because mm. you're correct mm. that BYU is they're not a long team. They've lost a lot of they lost a lot of height from last year, uh, just between guys 
retiring and transferring and, and what have you. Um, so naturally, yes, they don't have the bodies out there that look like great rebounders. But I think, you know, blocking out successfully is 90% effort and focus. Yeah. Um, regardless of who's on the floor, if you are positioning yourself properly defensively, you are between you when the shot goes up, you are between your man and the basket. And then it is your job to find a guy, stick a butt in his gut, stick your butt right in his gut and get and make sure he can't get around you, stick your elbows out and s- go secure the ball. Don't go and leak out, especially against a team like UNLV, which is a good defensive re- offensive rebounding team. We know that. You knew that going in that was on the scouting report. They're a great offensive rebounding team. You can't be leaking out and cheating against a great offensive rebounding team that's going to crash the glass and send everybody to the glass uh, like UNLV. Uh, you have to, every, all five guys have to block out, have to have to be part of a team defensive uh, defensive rebounding strategy. My dad coached me my entire life. I'm a coach's kid. Um, and he always used to tell us, and our, our good friend from Vanquish the Foe, Jake Welch, could attest to this because he was on these youth basketball teams too. <laughs> Um, but he always used to tell us, and you know, you're saying this to a bunch of third graders who think the word "butt" is really is really funny anyway. But he always used to yell at us in, in practice, you know, when we'd work on blockout drills. God gave you a butt for a butt for a reason. You take that butt and you put it in somebody's gut, and you make sure that you stay between them and the basket and and, and that rebound. And BYU did not do that. And there were so many times in, in the in crunch time where BYU did play good defense. Their initial defense was good. They forced a tough shot. They forced a miss. But then they didn't block out. There was an error somewhere. And sometimes, you know, you know, the ball bounces weird and or it's a long rebound coming off the three and, and you can't get it. And that's that's understandable. But they gave up 15 offensive rebounds to UNLV. And I would say, oh, you know, UNLV is just such a great offensive rebounding team. That's fine except they gave up 28 offensive rebounds earlier in the week to Portland State for 23 second chance points. And Portland State's a pretty good offensive rebounding team too, but you know maybe that kind of poor performance on the glass should have told us what would happen against UNLV which has superior athletes in almost every sense. Um, so this is a problem for BYU and I, I I agree that it's a it's a it's a length and height problem to a certain extent, but I think it's primarily an effort problem and they need they, there just needs to be some work and some focus there. Yeah, I agree with that just to kind of transition before we kind of look ahead, I think one thing that kind of is kind of a double-edged sword that even exasperates this problem is that BYU off against the UNLV game, what really gave them success part of the time was going to zone defense. And I think that really helped BYU stay in front of them. And it kind of showed, you know, these lack of talent shooting threes. But the problem is when Mm -hmm. you go zone, you're a lot more susceptible to offensive rebounds. So BYU kind of has yeah, BYU kind of has this problem when they go, man, I feel like they could kind of really get beat by athletic teams, but maybe rebound a little better. But on the other side of the coin, when you go zone, you may the other team may shoot poorer, but at the same point, BYU when they go on zone, that's when any team goes zone, they're more susceptible to offensive rebounds. So it's a little bit pick your poison with with that. But like you said, in the end, when it comes down to it, a lot of it is whether you're in zone, whether you're in man, whatever that philosophy is, it doesn't matter your philosophy. If you're, if you, like you said, stick your butt on someone's gut, whatever your dad said, God give you a butt for a reason, then you can mitigate a lot of those factors, lack of length. So I think a lot of it is just DNA. BYU's not as long and athletic as other teams, but you can't control your effort, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a good point. Kind of damned if you do, damned if you mm-hmm. don't uh, type of situation. Um, well, that's a good note to end on. <laughs> Robbie, where does this where does this all leave us, man? Yeah. Like, where BYU's 8-5. and five. They've got two non-conference games left at San Diego State next week, or rather this week on Saturday, and then at Mississippi State, which is a top, you know, 20 team uh, next week, next Saturday. Where, how should we feel about this team or where are they headed? Should everyone just give up hope and, you know, start thinking about spring football or, or, or what do you think? Where are we? Yeah. All right, Steve, I'll give you the case for optimism. I'll give you the case for pessimism. I'll let you know where I stand and then I'll throw it over to you. See where you stand. So first of all, kind of we'll reset it. So BYU right now is eight and five with two non-conference games remaining. So this is the second time ever in the Dave Rose era that BYU has had five non-conference losses. The last time was in 2014-2015, which subsequently was also the last time BYU made the NCAA tournament. 
albeit BYU had a much harder non-conference slate then. But BYU has two more non-conference games. They'll be underdogs in both of those games, and especially Mississippi State, they'll be double-digit underdogs. So it's very likely that BYU will have six or even seven losses coming out of the non-conference season. But before that, so the case for Optus, and I think, Steve, I mean, BYU still is 68 in Kempom. I mean, so as it stands now, that's not good enough to get to the NCAA tournament, but it's a spot, especially if BYU beats a team at Mississippi State, that will vault you really quick to right around the top 50. So, I mean, there's the good thing, which could be a bad thing. The middle of the WCC is quite a bit better this year. LMU's 10 and 1. They have double digit wins over UNLV, Georgetown, San Diego's 9 and 3. They're a top 100 team. They're praying really well. Um, San Francisco is a top 50 team in Ken Palm. They're nine and one St. Mary's is St. Mary's. They're right around 50. And then Gonzaga, we know what Gonzaga is. So, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities remaining. I mean, for example, if BYU were to sweep this remaining non-conference road trip with San Diego state. And if somehow they upset Mississippi state, I mean, BYU is right back in that conversation of getting back on the bubble. But at the same time, I think based on what you, what we've seen, I think that's pretty unlikely, which gets me to the case for pessimism, Steve. And as we've seen, BYU's lost three in a row at one point this season. BYU's won three games in a row this season. And after the three-game winning streak, we saw kind of a regression again this past game. So, I mean, which kind of shows us how wildly inconsistent this BYU team is. Um, they haven't shown any ability to win away from Provo. And just the slate coming up, which is an opportunity, it also, I mean, BYU honestly could finish fifth or sixth in the WCC this year. And I think part of that's because BYU may take a step back talently, just just in general, but also that the middle of the WCC is really good, Steve. I mean, going against San Diego, LMU, San Francisco, St. Mary's, those are teams that are just as, that are all better than UNLV. So it gives room for opportunity, but also gives a lot of room where, man, you could drop five, six, seven of those games. So I tend to fall based on what you, what we've seen in the camp for pessimism. Um, I mean, going back to optimism, I think Connor Harding, I think he's a guy could really develop and Nick Emery could develop as well. And this team, what we're seeing now could be a lot better in two months. I mean, we're only in December, but based on what we've seen and based on what I've seen from the rest of the WCC as a whole and from teams like Mississippi State, um, it's going to be a battle for BYU to get even to 20 wins this year, which has always been the absolute minimum threshold under Dave Rose. So I think BYU is in the tough. It's going to be a battle, honestly, just to get to the NIT this year for BYU, just with what's upcoming and the type of opponents that we've seen. So I'm in the pessimism camp, Steve. I'm guessing you're going to be in the pessimism camp too, but I'll let you make the case for how you're feeling. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough out there, man. And, you know, the there's... There is, there are opportunities, there are. right? Like you, like you mentioned, they have ten games remaining against teams that are currently in the top 100 in Kempom. Twelve, if you go up to the top 110, uh, which would include LMU, who's sitting at 108 right now. Um, so twelve games against top 100-ish quality teams, five of which are at home. There have been entire seasons where BYU hasn't played 12 games against top 100 teams. There have been entire seasons where they haven't played more than like six. So. You know, as much as you know, they've lost, they've they've squandered opportunities to get big resume-defining wins to this point. Um, there are still a lot more opportunities out there, right? The question obviously becomes: Do you believe that this is a team that has the ability to seize those opportunities? And you know, just based on what we've seen so far and the, what you said about not being able to win away from home and the inconsistency. We haven't seen any indicate any indication yet that they are going to be consistently good enough to to do that. They've been all over the map. They've been horrible against Weber State, then come back and been looked incredible against Utah State. It's just it's a real Jekyll and Hyde team, and there's no way to really feel confident about that uh, moving forward. I will say one strong argument for pessimism is this stretch that BYU is about to, that they're in right now, they've already entered it, um, but what's kind of facing them immediately in the face right now, uh, they've got four straight road games coming up um, through essentially mid-January. Three of those games are against top 100 teams, again, on the road. The other is Pacific, so it's, 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 it's San Diego State, Mississippi State, 
Uh, and then the fourth game of the four is is at is at St. Mary's in Moraga, um, which we know BYU always plays great in Moraga. Home away from home. Uh, and then the third game, <laughs> the one who's not a top 100 team, is Pacific, who BYU lost to yeah. last year. So that is an incredibly tough four-game yeah. stretch. It's entirely possible that BYU, if they play anything even close to what they played like, uh, in that first half uh, against UNLV, that they lose five straight games oh, right yeah. here because they have not shown they can win outside the Marriott Center. Those are four good, at least you know, in Pacific's case, teams that have shown that they can give you know BYU a real challenge in the past. In the other three teams' case, just really good teams, um, and that you know that's just kind of indic- indicative of what it's going to be the rest of the way. That, like you said, that WCC is going to be a dogfight. And, you know, every year BYU has dropped games, particularly on the road, but also at home sometimes to bad WCC teams. This year, there's actually a lot of good WCC teams. There's not a lot of bad. There's very few bad teams in the WCC, maybe a couple of bottom Mm -hmm. feeders. But the middle, like you're saying, is really tough. And so if BYU... This team doesn't look any more consistent or any more aspire any more confidence yet than past BYU teams. If that's any uh, case for us to compare, we sh- it could get it could get pretty pretty rough out there. There is opportunity. I don't want to you know I don't want to you know, say yet. everyone should tune out no. from basketball. Season is not over. If BYU turns it around, if they can play more like they played against Utah State and Utah, and less like they played against Weber State and UNLV. They can they can rack up a really nice resume and put themselves right right in that bubble conversation uh, for the NCAA tournament. However, if it if they don't, and right now I don't see I don't see a lot of evidence that they will. Um, it, like you said, it could go really really t- it could go really south, and you could really be struggling again in the NIT, talking about you know CBI or CIT territory or whatever the other tournaments yeah. that we don't dare speak their names are called. Um, yeah, and like one last thing, but it's yeah. rough. It's rough out there. Yeah, man. exactly. And at least we've seen that BYU can play well. I mean, Utah State's a, a really good basketball team, and BYU mopped the floor with Utah State, and Utah is not great, but I mean, they're still a Pac-12 team and BYU played really well versus them. So at least we have seen that the potential is there for BYU to play really well. And we are still only in December, but I mean, how about longer we're going to say, oh, we're only in January. Oh, we're only in February. So I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, so at least the, we have seen the team has the potential to play up to, to a good level. But as of this point, I think, I don't know what, and especially past years, what we've seen from the WCC play, like you said, with the WCC, the the bottom being a lot better and the middle being a lot better, it's going to be a dogfight for BYU even to get the top four, top three at the WCC. But I mean, there's still more two more non-conference games, Steve, before we get into the, the WCC play. And there is only one game this week, and that's going to be versus San Diego State, another fun Mountain West Conference foe, a lot very fond memories from Jimmer playing at Vihas Arena. I th- he won his sophomore, junior, and senior. They're all the starters. So Beautiful times, beautiful the, times. The happiest of times in BYU basketball since Danny Ainge. Just great times. Jimmer just absolutely annihilating Kawhi Leonard, Billy White, all those guys at Vihas Arena. So, I mean, I would love nothing more to get a road win at San Diego State. And just a quick primer, quick preview of San Diego State, Steve. They're actually a little bit different than past San Diego State teams. And first, an overview: they're six of four in the air. They're a hundred in Ken Palm, so they're not. They're actually lower than BYU and Ken Palm. I mean, they've had a quite a. They had a much tougher non-conference schedule than to Maui. I mean, they got smoked by Duke, which I mean, I mean, not yeah, nothing wrong with that though. I mean, BYU would get more than smoked by Duke as well. I mean, their one solid went. We would lose by fifty uh, to yeah, Duke, uh, like. Zion Williamson would just like walk out on the court and like physically eat every single one of our yeah. players, and then we'd be left with like Evan Troy out there playing one yeah. on five. That would that would be yeah. How it shout would out go. to Evan Troy, the pride of Washington, Long View, Washington. But um, yeah, it's, Evan Troy yeah, forever. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, six and four hundred and Ken Palm. They have a decent win against Xavier, who's I mean a name team in the Big East, even though they're a little bit down this year. I mean they have a recent loss. They lost at Cal. Cal is really bad. And then if you want to compare like opponents, the game at, so right after BYU played Illinois State, San Diego State was the next game and they won at Illinois State by 10. So that kind of gives you a little bit of idea where they're at. And I mentioned that they're a lot different than a typical San Diego State team. I mean, they still have length. They still going to defend you, but they're a really good three-point shooting team. They're top 30 nationally. They're shooting 39% from three. I mean, when you think San Diego State, 
you do not think good three point shooting team, but this team is really good shooting from three. Eh. This bodes well for BYU, uh, Robbie. I, f- I feel really I, good about that. There's one thing BYU does well is defend the three. So, I mean, this just plays right into BYU's hands. <laughs> Perimeter defensive yes. aces. That's, that's, that's the name of the are. game for BYU. And then guys to watch for San Diego State. I'm sure you remember that San Francisco guard from a few years back, Steve Devin Watson, that he put up 20, I think, his last his sophomore year at San Francisco before he transferred to San Diego State. 25 and 29 in the sophomore year. At, at, he had a 25-point game and a 29-point yeah, game against he BYU. Tore, uh, so he, we're good at guarding Yeah, him. and now he's on, a, <laughs> he's on an even better team with more help now. So he, he's, he's San Diego State's leading scorer. He's averaging 16, shooting 44% from three. So, I mean, that obviously screams sheer hardness. I think it's going to draw the main assignment to guard him. And then McKay yeah. Cannon and Nick Emery come on the bench to kind of contain him. So he's really good. Obviously, we've seen what he could do. He get to the rim. He could shoot. Really quick point guard. And then they have one other guy, which I'm really curious to see that matchup with Yoli Childs. They have a six ten, big name, Jalen McDaniels. Just he's a classic San Diego State player. He's six ten, skinny, long, athletic, could jump out of the gym. But he averages about fifteen eight rebounds a game. So I think he'll match up a lot with Yoli Childs. So it'll be interesting to see how Yoli matches up with that length and that athleticism against San Diego State. So, I mean, it is a little bit different of a San Diego State team. They still have the athletes, but they're a much better shooting team than normal. So, is there anything you have on to add to San Diego State, Steve, before we kind of close off and give our predictions for the game? The only thing I'll add is that game, that game from 2016 where Devin Watson scored 29 points on BYU when he was playing for San Mm -hmm. Francisco. That was the game... if people remember this, this was a great game. It was at, it was in, it was in San Francisco. If you on the play every game at San Francisco, that, we'd be set. <laughs> yeah, we're always great at yeah. San Francisco. So this is a game BYU won one fourteen to eighty nine. This is that game where Nick Emery went for thirty seven, mm. and like Nick was just making. Everything. I'm actually going to go look up the. I'm going to look this up on the BYU TV archives because I want to watch it now because that game was Nick so Emery's fun. Unreal, that game. But yeah, Devin Watson had 29. Uh, Nick Emery had 37. And he was just he was just nuts. Um, that was a heck of a game. I I, I haven't thought about that game that in was years. Was a great but game. It's that was for some reason so BYU fun. plays out of their minds at, at I think Jake Toulson member had an awesome game his freshman year at San Francisco. Matt Carlino had 30 at I, San Francisco J- one year. Like it, BYU always has some dude yeah. go off. Yeah. This year it'll be Evan Troy, our man, but uh, <laughs> uh, Evan Troy forever. <laughs> yeah, but um, what's gonna yeah, happen you, in this game, you Robbie? Got me what's gonna happen? Evan Troy love, but uh, I think as far as prediction goes, I think if BYU won, I think we'd be more inclined to say BYU continues it and we win at San Diego State. But I don't think that happens. I think BYU drops to eight and six on the year. I would love to see. I wonder, Steve, do you think San Diego State? students will jump as dress up as missionaries i mean it's been eight seven eight years for them so obviously some of those guys thousand yeah. percent they're they're incredibly creative yeah, that's, souls. That's creativity you think the show and their twitter account very enlightened twitter account so i mean we'll definitely see students in the student section dress up as missionaries but i mean that would be great for byu whenever opposing i mean BYU lost this past year to gonzaga because nobody dressed up as missionaries in the student section so i mean if it's true maybe that will give byu to get over the hump but Based on the scouting report for San Diego State, and I think BYU's going to have a tough time with Devin Watson and their big guy, Jalen McDaniels. I think he'll give Yoli just enough trouble where Yoli won't be able to go off, which is what BYU really needs to kind of spring the upset. But I kind of, I think BYU will, I think BYU will play it tight. I don't think San Diego State's that much better than BYU. But with the game being in San Diego, I think we'll see a, a six-ish point win for San Diego State. Um, what are you seeing, Steve? Do you see the same way? Or are you feeling good about BYU hoops? <laughs> well, Robbie, get ready for this. Uh, get ready. I don't know if you're ready for right, this jelly, but I'm going to give positivity? it to you anyway. I'm bringing it. Bring I'm it. bringing. I'm bringing the positive okay, vibes. I like I'm it. bringing the. You know, I'm bringing the shut shut up and Jimmer good vibes for BYU. I think. All hear right. me out. Seven of the last eight halves that BYU have played, they have played great basketball. Yeah. 
seven of the last eight halves dating back to the Utah State game. The only one that <laughs> wasn't great was the first half against UNLV, which was horrific. Um, I am going to bet on the seven instead of the one. I'm going to right. bet that with a week to prepare, they've got a week off. Um, they're in finals, obviously, but the real secret of finals in college is that I always found that once finals started, like my life was a lot easier than like the testing days when everyone's studying. You're like once the, once you're like checking stuff off the list and like you're you're clearing your mind. I, I think that that just makes things a lot smoother. They're gonna have a whole week to prepare for San Diego State. They're gonna have a whole week to sit with that bad taste in their mouth of the UNLV game of knowing that they sucked the first half and that's why they lost and just the feeling of losing in such heartbreaking fashion I think that's going to sit I think that's going to fester I think that they're going to have an entire week to get better and I think this is going to be similar to the Utah State game where I didn't have very high expectations for them uh, and they came out like gangbusters uh, and and really bounced back from a bad loss I'm going to choose to believe and this belief might be horribly misplaced we'll find out soon enough but i'm going to choose to believe that they're going to come out and they're going to get a win uh in in san diego uh in front of the show and that the mormon missionaries uh are gonna the mormon missionary costumes are going to inspire tj haas to hearken back to his days in france and uh to be filled with the spirit and score like 40 points that's what i'm that's what i'm predicting I like it, it out put there. that out there in the universe. Get those good vibes going. Let's recapture the spirit of Jimmer. I, I hope that BYU practice this week is just showing highlights from Jimmer's sophomore to ju- senior year at Vihas Arena when it was rocking, when San Diego State had Kawhi Leonard and Jimmer just going off. I think that should be the game plan for this week. Yeah. Motivate those guys. Recapture yeah. the spirit of Jimmer. I mean, that's what our, our podcast is named after him, Jimmer. So we have to give him a little shout yeah. out. Got to... Got to give the man a shout out all the way out in yeah. Shanghai, putting up, giving, giving the Chinese buckets. Um, well, you know, hopefully the good vibes that we that we sent out uh, sent out there are are reaching our friends uh, in Provo, coming from both coasts, from from Robbie in Washington State and from from me in, in Washington D.C. And we know, as we discussed last week, that the the coaches they they listen to this podcast regularly, so hopefully they're they're queuing up that Jimmer tape for film yep. study this week. Um, and I will be queuing up the uh, the Nick Emery San Francisco tape uh, in approximately that's a great 30 idea. seconds. But thank you. It's a great idea. We're really going to cleanse the palate from yes. the UNLV game. Make me feel a lot better. Um, thank you to everybody for for tuning in, for sticking with us. Even even on a little bit of a heartbreaking week, it's we really appreciate you all tuning in to Shut Up and Jimmer. Uh, a reminder, as always, if you want to tell us something we got right, something we got wrong, uh, follow us on Twitter. Robbie is at RT McCombs. I am at Post Jimmer. We always love to hear from our Shut Up and Jimmer fans. And, you know, keep putting the positive vibes out there in the universe. The Cougars are going to need them this week. And if we send out enough positive vibes, maybe we can uh, get this bad taste out of our mouth and get a, a much needed win over the Aztecs. Go Cougars. <laughs> <laughs>